Last time on Stats for Lefties. We will almost certainly have a general election before the end of 2019. I can't see how anyone can avoid it. The circumstances that lead to it are are unclear. It's not clear when it's going to be, but it'll almost certainly be after the 31st of October. See, folks, I told you so. Anyway... Right, so it's finally here. The election that we've been asking for for two two years, that we've needed for two years, and that really should have happened about 11 months ago has finally arrived. And uh, Labour's manifesto just dropped today. So that's very exciting. We were going to go through some parts of it that we're very, very excited about and talk about some of the polling. Uh, as well as uh, how we think the election is going, maybe what we think of some of the tactical voting stuff that's come up as well. Mm-hmm. So there's there's lots going on. Paige, uh, I suppose, firstly, like how 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 have you encountered the election? Because obviously, I pay attention to this stuff far more than any reasonable person should do. You have a direct Matrix-style plug in the side of your head, which pipes in information about politics um, as it happens. Yeah, it's called Twitter. Yeah, so my awareness of the election, as it stands, is um, it's all over Twitter. It's being talked about a lot. Um, The Conservatives are trying to brand it as the Brexit election. The media is trying to brand it as the Brexit election. And the general public do not want to brand it as the Brexit election because their number one concern just became the NHS. It pipped it yesterday, I saw. It did, with Ipsos Mori. There was a six-point increase in the percentage of people saying my number one concern is the National Health Service which makes a lot of sense because we're having an election in the middle of winter Mm. which is generally when there's a crisis in the National Health Service uh, and has been for the past few years because it's chronically unfunded. I think no small part of it is thanks in part to um, Jeremy Corbyn as well because obviously sharing those tragic videos about that lady um, he's friends with I believe her name was Jane like, who passed away now, um, very sadly. But, like, her anger was so real. And, of course, it was. It was outrageous the way she was treated. But I think that has got a part to play because I saw that shared by Greens. I saw that shared by Lib Dems. Everybody was sharing that, even if they weren't Labour voters, because it was something that was so unquestionably outrageous it crossed party lines. It's something that's also unquestionably true. If you see a politician talking about the numbers of the health service and you think, eh, politicians, blah, 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 and you see an ordinary person saying, I went to hospital with my terminal illness and this was the way I was treated, it's impossible to really respond to that without showing some empathy. Unless, apparently, you vote Tory. Mm. Because I, I remember watching that. Because uh, I was just scrolling through on my phone and I saw it and I, I was like, okay, let's see what this is. And I just kind of sat there in silence just watching this whole thing and just becoming more and more mm. horrified. This poor woman pouring her heart out. And I just couldn't... I just... I can't... I cannot understand how anybody could watch something like that and not feel outraged at the underfunding of the NHS. Um Sometimes I read Twitter responses to these things, not because I'm trying to make myself angry or, or 
because I, I, I know I shouldn't read the comments, but because I want to know how can you watch something like that and not feel some kind of personal shame for having voted Conservative and brought that on people. And just people blaming immigrants, people blaming the hospital staff, anything but accepting that we just need to yeah. give the service more money. I know, like, the Tories are bad, but it'll affect my money and my savings if I, if I don't vote for them. And I'm there like, some things are worth being selfless for and the health and well-being of other people is probably the biggest reason why you should put yourself second. Your own, like, what? Your own money. Money isn't even, okay, money isn't even real, it's a construct. We invented money. It's not real. Just like borders aren't real. Speaking of the Matrix, are they? We're getting metaphysical now. They're not real. No, they're no. made up human things. It just, I just become so angry mm. watching things like that, knowing that it's so easily preventable and was preventable just nine years ago. Mm. Because even under the most moderate, centrist, neoliberal Labour government that we've ever seen, the NHS was properly funded and education was properly funded, and public services were looked after and people were taken care of. I just cannot understand how people would look at everything that's going on and vote Conservative. I don't know, it just makes me incredibly angry. I know I don't sound it, but that's because I'm in a mellow mood at the moment. But you sound it to me. It's quite a mellow person. I see the rage in your eyes, though. I just, I, I feel doubly angry at uh, people like Joe Swinson, uh, and mm. the Liberal Democrats who also enabled this as much as the Tories did because the Tories have been in power for nine years and half of that, more than half of that, five of those nine years, they governed with an overwhelming majority that was gifted to them by the Liberal Democrats. And without them, they couldn't have done any of the things that they wanted to do. They couldn't have done anything. Uh, they were 20 seats short of majority. The Liberal Democrats had 57 MPs in 2010. They gave them the majority that they so desperately needed and now the Liberal Democrats are going around talking about improving the health service and fixing the benefits system. You did all of these things. All of these things are your fault and you have never taken a single single iota of responsibility for them whatsoever and now they're going out on TV and saying that they would do it all over again. There was Ed Davey who was one mm -hmm. of the Lib Dems spokespeople he went on Newsnight was saying that he basically thinks there's going to be a Tory minority government and was openly saying that he was going to prop it up and uh, support the Tories in exchange for a second referendum, which is exactly what the left have been telling people for the past nine years. And people haven't wanted to believe this because for some extraordinary reason, people on the centre-left just obsessed with the idea of trusting the Lib Dems, and I don't understand why. Anyway, where were we at before I went on a ramble about the Lib Dems? <laughs> The rage ramble. The rage. Um, oh, you're asking uh, your experiences of the election. Yeah, so my experience of the election is the Tories have done some really wild shit, mm. like um, pretending to be a fact-checking blog. Um, Jeremy smashed the debate, and then the media is trying to frantically claim that he did badly and has been sharing just the one poll where it showed he lost by one, like, two points. Well, to be fair, that one was the only, the only scientific poll. All the other ones were, like, Twitter polls. But the um, the sample size was smaller. Well, sample size isn't the only thing that determines whether a poll is accurate or not. Okay. So, particularly with Twitter polls, and this is a good conversation to have, I think, because a few few people have pointed this out. Because Twitter is also a left-wing echo chamber. Yes. I'm aware of that. So, but 
but from a scientific perspective, um, to have a statistically significant sample size, it has to be over a certain number. And like it was only like eleven hundred or something UGOVs, which is not very big. Well, it's not just about the number of people you get; it's about the reliability and the accuracy of what you've you've gotten. So, mm. in this case, UGOV selects its respondents uh, randomly from a panel, and then if they don't have a representative number of women in them, then they weight the responses for women higher so that it's more representative of the mm. overall population. If they don't get enough responses from young people, then they'll uh, weight those responses higher so that, broadly speaking, the poll is scientifically representative of the nation as a whole. In this case, of the audience members who, who watch the debate. Now, that is notoriously hard to estimate when you're trying to measure a specific group of people YouGov's tried it before with Labour Party members, and there were some errors there uh, because you don't necessarily know the full demographics of Labour members in the way that you know the whole country. You also might not know it of the TV audience watching, uh, which means that you can expect there to be some large margin of error either way. So when the poll shows Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn tied neck and neck, I think it's probably fair to say that the public gave it to could have given it to Corbyn narrowly or Boris Johnson narrowly, mm. and. Uh, that's how you should read a poll like that. Twitter polls aren't as reliable as those kinds of polls because Twitter polls are a not uh, not random. They could have a lot more uh, left wingers responding to them than right wingers, for instance, who watch the debate. If uh, it might, it would have a higher proportion of young people using Twitter, um, but a lot of older people watch the debate as well. Yeah, it's a self-selecting poll, so lots of people who might have thought that Corbyn didn't do well but did watch the debate wouldn't have responded to the poll because they didn't see it which is the idea behind taking a random sample of people no one has selected to be in the poll they've been randomly selected by an algorithm you've got a uh, reasonable confidence that people from the right demographics will be represented and if they're not then you weight certain demographics yeah. higher in your poll that being said from what I understand of it, Corbyn did perform well during the debate and yes. Johnson came across as a buffoon. So do you think that poll is based on people's opinions which are driven by Brexit or yes. by Tory tribalism, to I use a loaded word? Well, I think it's driven by both. So mm. one of the things that I thought in advance of the debate was that polls looking at the headline numbers of who won or lost, not helpful because Labour supporters are going to say Corbyn won. Tory supporters are going to say Boris Johnson won. It's not that helpful a headline figure. Um, particularly if you're getting like 80% of Tory voters saying Boris won and 80% of Labour voters saying Jeremy won. Mm. Remain voters overwhelmingly thought that Corbyn did well. Leave voters overwhelmingly thought that Boris Johnson did better. Mm. But what was more interesting was that by 59% to 41% undecided voters thought that Corbyn won the debate. That's helpful. That's far more helpful and informative than any of this stuff about, ah, oh, it was 5149. It's like, well, of course it was, because the two parties are quite evenly balanced in the country, mm. and the left and right and Brexit and Remain are quite evenly balanced in the country. Mm. What's more interesting is, is Corbyn motivating Remain voters? Is he motivating his own voters mm. from 2017? And is he convincing undecided voters? And on all three counts, he has in that yeah. debate. So in terms of what he has set out to achieve and what Labour should have set out to achieve from the debate, they've succeeded. Yes. In, what, in their aims and what their aims should have been. 
because I mean you're never going to win over the hardline Brexiteers, but if you're if you've won over someone who was thinking of voting Lib Dem because they really into Remain, and you're overwhelmingly succeeding with Remain voters, that's, that's great. Good. Yeah, especially because obviously their stand their standpoint on um, Brexit had been so kind of median for quite a long time pre a little while ago because they used to be more like oh well you know in the middle labor stance yes yeah labor stance was very in the middle for a long time so to pull remain voters and get a remain approval that strongly is a very good sign and it's, that, it's, that hasn't negatively impacted what they're yeah, currently yeah. doing now and it's it's absolutely working because labor is drawing back remain voters as i put it a few days ago at the speed of light mm. three weeks ago we were polling 34% with Remainers and 33% were voting Lib Dem. That has now flipped to 44 Labour, 26 Lib Dem Gosh. in three weeks. I really do enjoy the numbers like that. Like bef- Before um, we started doing this show, I like, I followed your blog, obviously, passionately, because I support you as your friend. But um, I didn't quite understand how the numbers can be very beautiful in a way sometimes when you see that perfect flow like that. Obviously, it's more of a chef's kiss for me because it's the Lib Dems being leached dry. But um, <laughs> it is nice. It is really satisfying in a way to see the numbers make sense like that. Yeah, this is why I like it. Let me just mm. get it up on here. It's going to be a click, so I'll edit that out. That right there, um, this listeners may have seen the graph already. I'll put a link to it in the description. But you can see it basically from the 21st to 27th of October. It was 34 Labour, 33 Lib Dem. They went up to 40 Labour, 30 Lib Dem. 41 Labour, 29 Lib Dem. 44 Labour, 26 Lib Dem. What is interesting for me is that that is actually getting much closer to our 2017 share amongst Remainers, which is 55%. Mm. So if we get to that, if we keep increasing on the same level amongst Remainers, like about three points a week, we will hit 55% amongst Remainers by election day. Mm. Um, And at that point, it really becomes a case of saying all this nonsense about Corbyn's repelling Remainers, he's, 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 he's... never going to win them back it's it's they're all going to the lib dems disaster for labor is toxic nonsense utter utter nonsense um i think that it's i think it's certainly in large part to do with labor's correct decision to adopt a second referendum policy Hmm. but it's not led to a total uh withdrawal of support amongst leave voters because they've also committed to having a credible leave option so we're talking a lot about how remainers are voting they split the hair quite perfectly there yeah so leave voters i haven't made a graph but leave voters the tories are obviously sweeping them up yeah so they're averaging uh 69 percent amongst leave voters with labor on 14 percent and that 14 percent is labor's highest average share with leave voters since the beginning of August. And uh, it's as far away from its 2017 share amongst leavers as the Remain one is, so they're growing at pretty much the same rate now. And Labour got 41% of vote, vote overall in 2017 on the basis of 55% of Remainers, 24% of leavers, and a significant proportion of people who did not vote in the referendum. Mm-hmm. And we're getting closer and closer to reaching that figure, both those figures again. And if we do that, then it's off to the races, really. Hmm. Time for the polling roundup. So the polling average for this week, the week of 25th November to 1st December, is Conservatives 43%, Labour 33% up 3, Liberal Democrats 13% down 2, 
Brexit Party 4%, SNP 3% and Greens 3%, which would lead to a Tory majority of 46 seats, as compared to last week's Conservative majority estimated of 70 seats. So it's a significant improvement, and the trend is very clearly in Labour's favour. So a lot of Brexit Party voters have either left straight to the Conservatives because the Brexit Party is not standing, or they've considered it a tacit endorsement and have gone round to them, even if there is a candidate. Mm. And uh, I have to say, I was a little surprised by that. I don't know if you were. By the Brexit Party standing aside? Yeah. I think... I think we've said this before, but Farage is not an idiot. Yeah. I think Boris Johnson is an idiot. I don't think Farage is actually an idiot. I think he's quite intelligent. And he knows exactly what he's doing. He's like, if I step aside now, it's a gallant move. It regains me some favour and some grace. Leavers see that I'm doing kind of the gesture. I'm still caring about it. But it also means he also doesn't have to get his hands dirty was actually campaigning it's another one of those ones where he can be part of it and increase his appreciation amongst the people he resonates with without actually having to deal with the nitty-gritty messy stuff of brexit which will negatively impact anyone it touches yeah because it's so difficult to deal with i suppose it just it, it seems like the brexit party's strategy is very haphazard because they've chosen to still stand in seats that were won by other parties. Mm. And for the Conservatives to win a majority, they need to take seats from other parties. Yes. So it might help the Tories hold some seats, but it's not going to help them gain any seats. But that's the thing, though, right? Farage isn't in it for the Tories. He's in it for himself. Yeah. Always has been. He's not in it to win for anybody else. He he is the definition of self-centred. So he's not trying to help the Conservatives win, really. He's trying to help his own position. Because I think, like Bojo, he also views himself as destined, in a way, for greatness. Mm. I think Farage, like, he's always going to be playing it for himself and nobody else. That's why the t- I think the tactics are haphazard. Because I think Farage is just there like, well, I'll make a gallant gesture, but I'll keep doing what I want to do on the side. On the plus side, it doesn't seem to be working for him because mm. his party's dropping to... 3% in polls and is on course to poll less amongst Leave voters than the Labour Party is. And I think that all it'll do is consign the Brexit Party to irrelevance. Mm. And the more that the Brexit Party is squeezed in the election by the Conservatives, mm. the more that Labour can squeeze the Liberal Democrats and the Green Party. Yeah. I mean, I don't know really what's going on in his head, but it, I, I guess I've never really understood that man. I so. don't think he cares about the Brexit Party. I think they could disband tomorrow and Farage would not care but yeah like I don't think he cares about the Brexit party I think that's why it's haphazard like so should we talk about the manifesto so obviously the manifesto for Labour dropped today mm. and I got in from work and immediately opened my laptop and was like let's have a look at what's, yes. uh, what's going down so the first thing that both of us noticed was that the Labour party has the snazziest looking manifesto and Paige here is a professional artist and professional graphic designer. So it was quite odd for me to see some people saying on Twitter that it was a terrible design. So I asked Paige what she thought of the manifesto design. 
Labels, um, if we're looking just at front covers, because I know we say don't judge, a book, don't judge a book by its cover, but first impressions are so important. And in the visual field, uh, first impressions are honestly everything. They are absolutely everything. So the manifestos we've got up right now, we've got um, the green manifesto, Lib Dem and Labour's. And Labour, I'm sure you've all seen it, it's this kind of matte red with flat um, text on it, which has got this nice little wave. And I can imagine a lot of people would be like, oh, this is terrible design, because there's nothing on it. It's just red and white with a little bit of a wavy line text. But I think that's why it's effective, because to me that immediately communicates what Labour is about, and that's about what the things they want to do and not about their own brand. If you look at the manifesto's front cover, like we are, like Labour's logo is bottom left and it's really small. And I know this is a small detail, and a lot of non designers will be like, oh, that doesn't matter. But let me tell you, as a designer, every choice we make in the office is massively intentional. And for Labour's logo to be bottom left and as small as it is, is very much an intentional choice. And what that choice is, is what we want to do is more important than our own brand, which is really interesting for a political party, especially when you compare it to the Lib Dems, who have put their logo very large at the top, and they've given it the shadow effect, which is honestly terrible. You know, I, I, I used to do that sometimes when yeah. I was like 18. It doesn't look good. No, it's, it's edgy. But it doesn't look good. Oh, it would look maybe it would look better if it wasn't against a textured background. Now, just as a pro tip to anyone who ever has to make like a poster or a flyer, please don't put grey shadowed text on a textured yellow background. And the text is also white. It's not very legible. It's not friendly to people who aren't the best readers or who have dyslexia, for example. So don't do that, please. Please don't. Also, just text in front of a textured background is always going to be hard to read, and it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it looks terrible. The Green Party Manifesto, meanwhile, is weird. My first comment on the Green Party Manifesto is, why is, if not now, comma, when, not... It's in a bizarre position on the page, which is really strange to me. It's It's... Because the thing is, you can have off-centred text and off-centred images in design that can work really effectively. But it's so close to being centred that it's annoying. <laughs> like, as a designer, I said, that's not centred, is it? And then I had to squint at it, and we both squinted at it until we both affirmed that, no, it's oh. just slightly off-centre. Yeah, it's just to the left. So what you're saying is, the Green Party has made a manifesto that is just slightly left of centre. Which I, I think am saying that, really yes. sums them up very well because that's kind of where they're politically positioning themselves now. Because they've allied themselves with a Liberal Party that has a leader that said very quickly in response to being asked that she would use nuclear weapons. And that's bizarre that the Green Party would ally themselves with a pro-nuclear party given that one of their fundamental beliefs is opposition to nuclear weapons. And to align themselves against a political party led by a lifelong unilateral disarmament advocate in the form of Corbyn, a guy who will never say that he will use the nuclear button because he quite obviously never would because he just morally doesn't believe that he should. And the fact that the Green Party has allied themselves with Joe Swinson instead of Corbyn is just so indicative of the fact that the Green Party has abandoned everything 
ideologically that it used to hold dear has just become an obsessive anti-Brexit centre-left party with no purpose, no strategy and nothing to say beyond stop Brexit now, stop Brexit now, stop the world, I want to get off, everything is so mean and sad and I don't like it. I feel like their viewpoint in partnering with the Lib Dems is very much, to quote Aaron Burr, hold your nose and close your eyes. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not under the impression that the Green Party loves the Liberal Democrats, but to form an alliance with them just indicates that you don't care that much about no, what they did in coalition. They clearly don't care much about their manifestos front cover either, if it's just slightly... It's Sorry, just, it's just annoying me It's just so the much. words vote green over and over again as if it's some kind of subliminal messaging, and it's like... Look, it was edgy 10 years ago, but right now it just looks awful. The Green Party endlessly puts out these sort of train spotter style adverts of like, vote mm. for this, vote for this, vote for this, vote green. And it's like, it that movie good. is 30 years old. Dude. One last note on branding. Okay, so um, if you're a Westerner, you've been trained since a very young age to read left to right, which results in something that designers refer to as the lazy Z, which is uh, the pattern of movement that your eyes will take across a poster or any kind of print media or digital media. You will automatically look to the top left. You might, you might try to say to me, oh, no, no, Paige, I don't do that. You do that, trust me. You do that. It's subconscious, it's automatic, it's the consequence of learning to read and write in a left-to-right language. Trust so, Paige, yeah, she knows. Your eyes go top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right, and your eyes cross through the middle, like, which is why it's good to put large things in the centre of a page. But because your eyes always go top left to top right, if you put the title of your party there and not the title of your manifesto, that means that that's the first thing people are going to connect to. So when I look at the Green Party, the Lib Dems, manifestos, they put them, their own brand ahead of the content of their manifesto. Whereas I feel like Labour's is a, an intentional choice to remove everything except the manifesto itself. Which is just, um, I know people might say that's not that relevant to politics and whatever, but I actually think that's a really nice touch and shout out to whoever designed the manifesto because that's... You could tell they thought about it and were mm -hmm. like, right, okay, this Labour Party with Corbyn is about what we're doing and not about the personal brand of anyone involved. And this fundamentally is why I think this election is going better than the last, because this time we have a Labour Party as a whole that from the very top to the very bottom is united behind the leadership. There isn't, they're not pulling in different directions mm. to the leader we have an entire team that is loyal, that is supportive and understands the vision that the party membership wants to take to the country. And that is making a real difference in terms of how we're portraying things. Mm. It is allowing the leadership to actually ooze its vision in everything that it does yeah. from the way Corbyn presents himself to the way that we design the manifesto. The consistency and coherency of it is really impressive. Like, um, we've been alive long enough, me and you, to see a lot of campaigns come and go now from various countries and various leaders and various two would-be leaders. And honestly, I, I, I'm speaking obviously with an element of bias because I am absolutely going to vote Labour. I think that the campaign that's coming out of Labour right now is really impressive. I think it's really good. I'm looking at it and I'm listening to it and I'm like, you know what? 
even if they don't win, I think they, whoever they are, who are running the actual specifics of it and have done the branding and have thought about it, should be really proud of themselves because it's really nice, in the UK especially, to see such a coherent and consistent, simple and effective message in a political thing. It's the kind of... It's the kind of politic com political campaign I'd expect to see from somewhere like somewhere really hyper image concerned, like the US. It's really, really interesting to see this coming from the Labour Party, which has struggled with image stuff in the past. It's nice to see that they have changed themselves internally in such a way that they're now approaching the modern era with the appropriate level of style and intelligence. So what you're saying is, it is possible for a political party to look modern to feel modern, to look in tune with the 21st century mm. without being incredibly right-wing and abandoning everything yeah. that it believes? Th yeah. I can't believe that. God forbid. Yeah, I feel I thought like... Tony, Tony Blair, he, he still tells us that, uh, you know, we, we, we have to modernise and be professional. And that's just code word for becoming neoliberals is my impression of Blair. Because he always speaks so a bit hesitatingly. Mm. A lot of people would laugh at me and how ardently I believe that this is actually really good branding and a good campaign. But the thing is, you know who is also going to resonate with this kind of simple, effective, stylish, mes stylish messaging who have been raised on brands and have been raised on social media? It's millennial, young millennials. The Labour Party feels to me like the only political party in the UK that has recognised the power that the youth hold to vote out the, those ardent Tories who are the over 65s. They are actually trying to reach out to young people and that is what I'm reading in the design. I don't know who's, again, I don't know who's working at Labour but they get it. To me, when I look at their manifesto, I'm like, it's about the message and it is targeting young people. I, I have one final observation yes. about the presentation of the manifestos. Uh, the slogans. The Liberal Democrats is stop Brexit and build a brighter future. Meaningless. Meaningless. It's waffle. Green parties is if, if not now then when. What does that mean? And Labour Party is, it's time for real change. So Liberal Democrats is, stop the world I want to get off, I don't like it, turn the clock back to 2012, or 1997, depending upon how Blairite you are. Green Parties is sort of meaningless drivel that sounds sort of deep and meaningful, but actually just like, well, what does that mean? What do you want to do? Mm. What, what, what is it that you would like to do now? Mm. How is it different to what the Labour Party wants yeah. to do with regards to the Green New Deal? And Labour parties is, it's time for real change. In other words, it's time to move forward into the future and really change the way our whole society, our whole economy, our whole politics operates so that it works for the many, not the few, which is still the tagline for the manifesto. And that slogan difference, I think, is just really, really noticeable. Yeah, this is everything. I believe in a previous episode we talked about um, our opinions on why Hillary Clinton's campaign was an unmitigated failure. And it was because it didn't have that kind of cohesiveness and clarity. It's because it didn't look like this. Mm. I feel like the last time I saw a political campaign that had such a strong, clear message um, would have been either Obama or, curse him, the Orange Cheeto, because his campaign had a simple, clear message. Obviously, the polar opposite politically, but it was clever in the way it branded itself. But I think that for the many, not the few, is, is so, so ingrained in society now. Mm. And the Tories can laugh at it, Lib Dems can laugh at it. But you know what? 
I could talk to anyone at Tesco or at Waitrose and they would know it. And that's what it needs to do. It needs to be known and everybody knows it. I doubt you could talk to many people who would know what the Greens is and what the Lib Dems is, but everybody knows what Labour's slogan is. Yeah. They've done a really good job of putting it out there. Speaking as a brand professional. So, Paige, you're very passionate about education. Oh, God. <laughs> so we were looking at the section of the manifesto, the Labour manifesto, on rebuilding public services, specifically about the National Education Service, and one of the first things that Paige noticed was the provision of 150,000 additional early years staff, including special educational needs coordinators. So you were very excited about that. I am extremely I. excited about that. So SEN right now is handled by um, higher qualified teaching assistants and by teachers. And typically in a classroom, if you're lucky, you'll have obviously a teacher. But if you're lucky, you'll have a TA. A lot of classrooms are having to get by without TAs which at primary school level is catastrophic because at primary school level is the age where you find kids who have got SEN or who are SEN and need that extra help. And if you don't have those extra bodies in the classroom, and even if you have a TA, if they're not aware of SEN, they're never going to spot that kid who needs the extra help and that kid will never get it. They will always be an underachiever and they won't be able to succeed in the way that they absolutely had the potential to. So... SEN provision is a fantastic detail. Just, I really, really appreciate the focus that they have in education on preschool because it feels like everybody who talks about education, myself included, is obviously very passionate about the teaching crisis and how teaching is one of the worst jobs in the UK in terms of stress. Well, I saw, I saw the stat yesterday, seven, this is quite an old stat, to be fair, it's probably worse now, but 17% of white teachers have depression. That's an absolutely mortifying proportion. Mm. Like, that is not reflective of actual society. 17 clinical depression. That is unbelievable. But I believe it, because my partner is a teacher. But I really like the, my point is, fairly, a lot of the focus is on teachers, teacher workload and on schools, but I really appreciate the focus in the Labour Manifesto on preschool because a lot of the problem in schools, other than lack of funding, is um, lack of preschool help and education because parents are so low paid now that they can't afford not to work and stay and you know help their kid at home progress and catch up. So a lot of kids are coming to school and whereas sometimes before you would have kids coming in and they know their alphabet, they can count to 10, they can write their own name. A lot of the kids coming into reception now, and they don't talk about this in the news, cannot do anything but scroll an X. They can't write, they can't say the alphabet, they don't know how to count to 10. They don't know anything. They're coming in blank slates at the age of four. And I know that in other countries like the US where they kind of start school later, that's less of an issue. But bearing in mind my own experience of what we were expected to know at school at that time and that age, it's very different. So the teachers are being told you have to achieve more with kids who actually come in knowing less because the parents aren't able. They don't have the time, the training, the resources to teach the kids that basic information themselves. So the teachers are starting like a couple years behind which is only adding to the situation. So I am very excited to see preschool stuff. Yeah. 
Also because it massively frees women from having to take time off to look after their kids. Yeah. I think if you have more preschool stuff, it will lessen the financial burden on families and it will free a lot of women to not give up their jobs because their husbands paid more. So I think that you will definitely like this section on schools. Oh, please. So Labour will make sure schools are properly resourced. Fair funding formula. Uh, maximum class size of 30. Maximum class size yes. of 30. We will also... Fund more non-contact time Ugh. for teachers to prepare and plan, which I take to mean they will pay teachers for the work they do outside of the school. Yeah, so right now um, teachers are paid, my partner for example is paid from nine until half three. In reality she works from eight until eight or eight until seven. Uh, last week they had an Ofsted inspection, she worked from, she got up at six she worked from 7 until 10pm at night. It's disgraceful. <laughs> She's paid, again, 9 till 3.30. So, so you can go on about teacher salaries being better than your average job. They're not enough. No. I, I They're mean, not enough. They don't reflect the actual number of hours they put in. And teachers are expected to do this kind of child... This is Ofsted's emphasis on having um, lessons be tailored to the interests of your class. But with primary school, what that means is um, if you're emphasising tailoring the class lessons to what your actual class is interested in, you cannot have a standardised system of lesson plans and you can't recycle your work from the years before. And people might laugh at the idea that teachers should be encouraged to recycle their plans, but when a single plan takes an hour or so to make and you've got to do four of them every day, mm. that's a massive amount of unpaid labour. And if you have more support and more payment for non-contact time, that's going to help teacher workloads so much. There's actually some really horrifying statistics about how many teachers end up being divorced because it ruins their lives. Good grief. It ruins their lives. They don't see their families. They end up with depression. Mm -hmm. Like, the amount of stories I hear of teachers crying in the store cupboard because they can't face their day but they have to because there's no one to cover them because there's no money for a substitute so very oh, exciting yes sorry so you made this observation a, a few days ago that the Tories latest funding announcement say that they're going to reverse their own cuts but it actually leaves 83 percent of schools still facing cuts next year yeah. because it's on a four-year budget plan right yeah that is also in the Labour manifesto so clearly this was written by someone who either knows a teacher, mm. has listened to an awful lot of them, or is a teacher themselves. Mm. Because there's so much here that I hear from you and your partner on a daily basis. Um, intensified testing, inspection, lead tables of competition. These are not improving pupil achievement or no. narrowing the attainment gap, but are contributing to a grower teacher recruitment and retention crisis. So the way that teaching works is because, um, especially in primary, where you're emphasised on having your lessons tailored to your kids, and some years you'll just get a, kid, a bunch of kids who are good at history, some years you'll get a bunch of kids who are really good at science, you never know what you're going to get. And the government gives you allowances for, like, you're allowed to have a kid with dyslexia, you're allowed to have a kid with X, but that's just not how the numbers play out. Like, one year my partner had a, cl had a class where a quarter of them had dyslexia, which is obviously unlikely, but it happened because that's just the way the dice fall. Human, yeah, humans are messy and complicated and they don't match spreadsheets. She only had the numbers for one. Yeah, she was allowed to give one kid the exception to pass and the others just had to fail English. So this is why the Labour will provide the necessary funding for children with special educational needs and disabilities. Mm -hmm. 
um, they will scrap key stage one and two SATs and baseline assessments. There is no society on earth where you should be able to test kids who are under the age of 12 because it doesn't do anything. You've got kids who are six and seven taking the initial sets and they can't read the questions because like I said, the parents don't have the time to teach them the alphabet. So by the time they start their sets, a lot of them still can't read properly. And that's not the fault of the teachers. It's not the fault of the parents. It's the fault of a government that doesn't support the parents. It doesn't pay them enough. It doesn't provide preschool education, preschool spaces for these kids. It's the fault of a government that overworks its teachers and expects them to teach all these extracurriculars as well as an exam curriculum. Like, my partner is being told to focus on conflicting things. Like, Ofsted wants her to tailor it to the pupils and be all creative and imaginative, and the government's like, exams, exams, you cannot do both. It is not possible. Especially because the way teaching works, like having to tailor your lessons, like I've said so many times, um, you come in as a brand new teacher, there is no material, as a primary school teacher, because that's where my experience lies, there's no material you can pick up and use as your own. You have to come up with it all. And for NQTs who are paid the least on the teaching scale, they start off obviously on the lowest pay. NQTs have to do the most prep at home. They end up working the most hours, even though they're brand new on the ground because they have to come up with all this material for the first time. NQTs, I assume, means newly qualified, newly qualified teacher. teacher yeah. So you have NQTs. So this is why the teacher retention crisis is such a problem, because NQTs are the ones who have to work these absolutely bananas hours, because they don't have this repertoire of lesson plans they can pull. And all, all that, all that, this kind of stressing on tailoring lessons and doing more with less is doing, is meaning that more and more teachers who, are, who have got this repertoire are having to come up with new lesson plans every day like an NQT. So you've got people who have been in the in the industry for 16 years who are crying during the working day because they can't do it. And they're being told, they get reviewed by people and then they're told immediately like, oh, you didn't do this. And it's like, how are you supposed to tick 50 different boxes, many of which conflict? I, I hear this it breaks from you, my heart. you and your partner all the time. And I just, I can't help thinking just, how important it is to get a Labour government and how astonishing it is that anybody can listen or even be vaguely aware of what's going on, which many parents are mm. because their schools are asking them to bring in food or to not take their children in for like the fifth mm. day of the week and still vote Conservative. Yeah. I don't understand how someone could be so unbelievably selfish mm. that they would vote to preserve their own money over the education of their own children. Well, there are teachers who vote Tory, which I know. blows my mind. Yeah, unbelievable. Shooting yourself in the foot. Well, there's oh. also health service workers who vote Tory, doctors. Wild. And Tory voting teachers are not the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is the Tory government. Yes. Yes. I, I just... I'm never going to understand Conservatives. Um, I, I don't understand a, a mindset, an ideology that is just so grounded in selfishness and pure greed and people who act as if there's some kind of equivalence between the social democracy of Corbynism and the greedy, self-interested 
conservatism of Boris Johnson is it's just it's absurd there's nothing remotely similar about them at all don't forget and anybody who considers themselves to be vaguely progressive should be voting for the Labour Party mm. and anybody who can who claims to be progressive but is actually going to vote for tiny parties like the Green Party or liberal parties like the Liberal Democrats they're not actually progressive they're just people who like to think they're progressive and want other people to think they're progressive so they're signaling their virtue by voting liberal democrat or green but not actually doing anything to materially change the conditions of working people in this country mm. and it's one of the things that i think is fundamentally the difference between socialists and liberals because socialists have you know gritted their teeth and supported the labor party for many many decades even when it was led by people like Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and Ed Miliband. But the second that liberals stopped having someone that they wanted in charge of the Labour Party, they just whew, out the door because they threw their toys out the pram and was like, we weren't getting our own way, so we're going to just waltz off and vote for the party that enacted austerity for five years. So I was going to say, what do you think of tactical voting? Vote Labour. Yeah, that's the tactical <laughs> vote. Tactical vote, vote Labour. Both consensus that... Uh, here it is, folks. The Stats for Lefties exclusive tactical voting recommendation uh, list of seats in which you should vote for the Labour Party. Everywhere. For Labour. For Labour. Nobody else can get the Tories out. That is literally just a fact. Uh, how do we think the election is going? I think that the Labour Party are doing everything they can. I think they're doing a really good job. I think that the Labour Party is going to win. Everything that the left has been saying about how a general election would go has come true. I've been told so many times that Labour will not run a better campaign. The Tories will not want a worse campaign, or they won't run the kind of bad campaign again. Remainers will never return to the Labour Party. Leavers will never return to the Labour Party. Uh, there will not be another bounce in terms of Labour support. Uh, and, you know, Nigel Farage will get 100% behind Boris Johnson. None of those things have happened. He didn't get 100% behind Boris Johnson. He still continues to criticise him and stand in like half of the seats and all the seats that Boris Johnson actually needs to win. Uh, there has been a surge in Labour Party support. We're up 10 points in the last few weeks. Remainers are returning to the Labour Party, as we've talked about before. Many Leavers are also returning to the Labour Party. The Tory party campaign has been a complete shambles. And the Labour Party campaign is substantially better. And the Liberal Democrats surge that all these, like centrists predicted was going to happen did not happen they're going down and down and down and frankly i think they may end up losing seats compared to 2017 mm. or remain more or less on exactly the same seat total uh and i think that's what they deserve because the campaign that they've run has been absolutely terrible it's so arrogant as well to run a bad campaign well that's the liberals for you the liberals have never ever accepted that in going into the coalition in 2010, they did something that was wrong. They've never accepted that. Leader after leader has defended it. The last two leaders they've had, including this one, uh, have, were ministers in the coalition government. Joe Swinson and then Vince, C and Vince Cable before her. They don't believe that it was wrong. And until they understand that what they did was morally wrong, they will never understand why it is that they lost 49 of their 56 seats, 57 seats in 2015, and they'll never understand why they won 7% of the vote in 2017. Their support is only as high as it is because of 
Brexit and because they have branded themselves as the Stop Brexit Party. But the problem with saying that Brexit is the number one issue that is more important than anything else in the entire world is that if you convince people to believe that and say that you should vote and use your vote to stop Brexit, the Liberal Democrats have basically convinced Remainers that voting tactically is incredibly important. But and the truth is... Yeah, to vote tactically, you vote Labour. Yeah. And so they're walking away at an incredible speed and the Liberal Democrats can't do anything to stop them. It's almost like, once again, they've created their own mess. I know we rag on the Lib Dems a lot, but it's so easy. I hate them. Yeah, that's fair. Same. I really, really hate them more than, like, um, I probably should. I feel like important context is we were the first, me and Elle were the first year to be um, whacked with nine grand a year tuition fees. I'm a northerner. I actively saw people choose to pull out of going to university. God knows where they are now, but they don't have the degrees they were supposed to have. Like, we've both seen it. We've both seen the impact it's had and been through that system now. I just find the Liberal Democrats to be a morally disgusting party that should have no place in our parliament. And I will only be satisfied in terms of the Liberal Democrats when they have lost every single seat in the House of Commons, every single MEP and every seat in the local council and the Scottish Parliament and Welsh Assembly because they don't deserve any form of power because they don't care about anything but themselves. They don't care about anything but obtaining power and they will say absolutely anything in order to get it, whether that is supporting austerity one year, opposing it the next, supporting a referendum on the EU one year, opposing it the next, They do not care about any of you or any of us. They only care about themselves. So even if you think a tactical vote for them will help, just don't do it. They will just support another Tory government. The only way to get the Tories out is to vote Labour. And that is probably the final message for tonight. Vote Labour. Well, that's it, I suppose. You've been listening to Stats for Lefties, a leftist take on polls and election stats. I'm your co-host, L. And I'm your co-host, Paige. You can find the podcast at soundcloud.com slash leftystats, all lowercase. And you can follow our Twitter account at twitter.com slash leftystats. It's worth saying, for clarity's sake, I do all the tweets. That's all me. Uh, If you enjoyed the podcast and would like us to do more, and would also like access to some of Elle's election spreadsheets and podcast extras, please donate to our Patreon so we can fund more cool things like this visit patreon.com forward slash lefty stats to subscribe and donate. Uh, When I'm not making terrible meme comments for this show, I work as an illustrator, and you can find my portfolio at my website, pagalini.wordpress.com. That's uh, P-A-G-A-L-I-N-I. And you can send any inquiries to pagalini at live.co.uk. Well, thank you all very much for listening to our podcast. Goodbye for now.